and welcome back to the To The Heights podcast. This is Olivia Colombo. I'm a young Catholic changemaker, and I am so excited to be embarking on this project of sharing stories of the young people of the Catholic Church and those who minister to them. The title, To The Heights, is a translation of the quote Verso Lealto by Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frassati, a 24-year-old student and lover of mountain climbing who is on his way to canonization because he dedicated his life to caring for the poor and the vulnerable. His catchphrase, To The Heights, serves as a prayer and a reminder for many to keep on working and achieving for the glory of God. Through my own work in ministry and media, I've had the blessing of meeting so many young people with inspirational stories of how they are reaching to the heights, and I want to share one of those conversations with you today. I am so, so very excited to share with you today's very sweet guest, who I'm sure many of you are vaguely familiar with, Nell O'Leary. Nell is the managing editor of Blessed Is She. She's a mom and a wonderful human being. We got in touch when she was on a panel at Boston College through the C21 Center. Blessed Is She is such a well-loved and impactful organization, and I'm sure that so many listeners know and love them. I know I have. Um, So it has been so amazing to get to know one of the beautiful faces behind such a beautiful organization. We chatted about sisterhood and community, the story of Blessed Is She and how it all began, Nell's journey from being a lawyer to now being their managing editor, um, how it is working collaboratively with so many writers and creatives, and the importance of beauty in our world today. It was such a refreshing and inspiring conversation, and it was certainly a favorite of mine. So I hope you enjoy the conversation and get inspired by Nell's story of reaching to the heights. All right, I am here in the Catholic TV studio in Watertown, and I have a super exciting guest calling in. Um, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, friends. My name is Nell O'Leary. I'm the managing editor for Boston She, a Catholic women's ministry, a recovering lawyer, and usually running around after my four kids here in my hometown of St. Paul, Minnesota. Awesome. Um, Nell and I met uh, a few weeks ago almost a month ago, um, you came and spoke at a panel at the C21 Center at Boston College, um, which was super exciting. It was a panel about young innovators um, with some other podcast guests. I believe everyone from that panel will be on the podcast at some point in time. And Karen Kiefer, um, who moderated the panel and is the president of the C21 Center, was on a few episodes ago. So it's all coming full circle, which is really exciting. Yeah. I love it. It yeah. was so fun to meet you. And it was so fun to meet those other innovators. And Karen's just, I mean, wow, what a gem. Yes. Karen is a, Karen's amazing. Yeah. Yep. And the C21 Center is just a gift for sure. Um, all right. So I guess to get started, would you like to tell us a little bit about what Blessed Is She kind of in a nutshell is, just so people can establish and place you. I, I'm sure many of the listeners will know what Blessed Is She is. But. <laughs> Absolutely. So Blessed Is She it's a Catholic women's community. Everything about us you can find at blessedishe.net. And our whole thrust is prayer and community. So we started out five years ago. A group of Catholic women bloggers decided to volunteer their time to write reflections on the Mass readings for the day and send them out in a free email. Our founder, Jenna Gizar, was working at the time. She had little kids. She just felt this call to do something for our Catholic sisters with regards to Scripture, that she saw her Protestant friends doing so well. Now, five years later, we still have our daily devotion emails people can subscribe to, but oh my goodness, we have so many more offerings, so many ways to help women grow deeper in their faith, 
between Catholic friendships and go deeper in those friendships rooted in our shared love of this Catholic faith we have, this journey that we're on. So Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, wherever you are, we're there too. We have regional retreats. We have small group studies. We have gatherings. We have regular social media content on our website, on YouTube, on you know Instagram Live, Facebook Live, all these things brought to you now by, oh my goodness, we have over 40 writers <laughs> yeah. from all walks of life, all women who just want to share their heart for the gospel and help you find your story in the gospel as well. Mm, that's so beautiful. Um, just, I feel like the word beautiful is going to be used a lot because that is a theme of mm. so much of Blessed Is She. Um, would you like to tell us a little bit about how you ended up at Blessed Is She? Um, so kind of your career before and then how you got there. Absolutely. So my job, I'm the managing editor for Blessed Is She. So I manage the writing team. I manage our liturgical products. We have Advent and Lent books that come out. Basically, anything that's written, mm-hmm. I, I either run the project or I edit the project or I work with the writers on the project, all of our studies. Um, and I, I work closely with our founder, Jenna Kieser. And I get asked all the time, Olivia, by people, especially my friends who are in college or coming out of college, if I want a job like yours, what do I study? What do I major in? How do, how do I get this job? Yeah. And I always laugh so hard because I had a very winding road to get to Boston Is mm. So I'm, I'm from here in Minnesota. I'm from St. Paul. And I went to the University of Minnesota, found my heart in the English department, loved poetry. My thesis was a poetry manuscript. Um, <laughs> but then hit the reality of, okay, so I've gone through and I've gotten this great degree, but English majors can't really necessarily support themselves unless they go on to get a master's or maybe even a PhD, you know, if you're going the literature route mm. or work at a literary press or, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I got to do something for graduate school. Yeah. Um, and I'd always loved, I always loved stories about prosecutors. I always loved public speaking. I did you know, speech, a lot of theater in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a, one of my siblings, my brother, who'd gone to a Catholic college said, hey, I know all these friends who go to this Catholic law school. Now, I hadn't been at Catholic school for a long time, and while I was so strong in my faith, I usually was the only Catholic I knew in the room. Which, when you're the only Catholic in the room, you can feel pretty good about it, right? You're like, Mm. oh, I'm not doing that. I'm still still going to Mass. But my my growth in my faith had really, like, you know, slowed down, ground to a halt. Mm -hmm. So I did. I went to a Catholic law school called the Ave Maria School of Law, it was in Ann Arbor at the time. It's since moved to Florida. Yeah. And for the first time, I encountered normal Catholics just exuberant about their faith, living it out in a way I had never seen. You know, I had, like, I had people I knew from church, but then all my friends were not Catholic in yeah. college. And I, I loved law school. I met my husband there. Um, and I thought, like, this is it. I'm going to practice law. I mean, I do love that poetry, but, you know, I, just, <laughs> I love being in the courtroom. I clerked for a federal judge after law school, and mm-hmm. then I went on to work in the prosecutor's office. I got married in the interim there and was pregnant and super <laughs> sick with our first baby. So my dreams of being like an assistant U.S. attorney, taking on the bad guys, kind yeah. of slowed to a halt, thinking, all right, I'm throwing up all the time. I'm pregnant. I was such a higher achiever in law school. You know, I did all these great things, law review and published student note, but now I'm kind of facing the reality of, our family, you know, thanks be to God, is growing. What are we going to do? Yeah. How are we going to, how are we going to, like, solve this problem? So we decided that I would stay home and, and work part-time, having my own private practice. So I did that for a few years. But with the birth of my second child, it just, like, it made more sense for me to be home full-time. And, you know, some of your listeners might be thinking, 
I want this direct path. I want to like figure out where I'm going to go, point A, point B, and make all the right steps to get there. Mm-hmm. But here I was at home thinking, I, I love to read, I love to write, I love to edit, I love to manage, I love to think. And I, I adore being home with my little kids, but I don't get to access those parts of my gifts. Yeah. Uh, and then shortly after the birth of our third child, who was five years ago, <laughs> I, I had been writing. I had been writing like a little mommy blog on the Internet. I met other Catholic writers that way. Someone added me to this Facebook group that Jenna Gizar had started for Catholic women writers. And she just posted in there, hey, I think I might do this thing. Does, that, does anyone want to do it with me? I, I, want, to, I want to start something where we, we write reflections on the, on the reasons for the day. And it just email it to people. Mm. And I thought, oh, my gosh, sign me up. Sign <laughs> me up, Tiffany. I, yeah. I love writing. I love editing. I've already managed a big writing team for publication. Like, I have a lot of flexibility. I'm at home with my little kiddos. Yeah. I want to help. So we actually worked together for a whole year before we met in person. And her sisterhood and the sisterhood of the other woman I work with has just helped me blossom and grow in my faith life in so many ways. I couldn't have even imagined. Wow. You know, if I had picked this out, like, oh, when I'm in my 30s, I'm going to do this thing. I would have no idea the impact it would have on, on my relationship with the Lord and my appreciation for our Catholic faith and then how that transitions also into my family life, which is mm. a real blessing. There's a long-winded story. Like you got the whole journey all bundled into yeah, one. Yeah, no, that that was exactly what I was looking for. Um, and so what I wanted to hear, um, and I think that's comforting to hear that, like, especially as college students, like, I've changed my major, like, I don't know, seven times or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I think we all, like, I don't know, we're taught to picture, like, the end, whatever we want to be, and something really big, um, and, like, fight for justice and, like, change the world and stuff like that. Um, and so many other things get in the way. Um, like, personally, I resonate with um, the whole, like, being sick and then realizing, like, that you can't achieve. I have a chronic illness, so, like, I don't know, just, like, getting stuck and being like, why can't my body keep up with, like, I want to go change the world and, like, fight for good and end poverty and whatever, and yet I'm stuck. Um, Yeah, I don't know. So so many good things there. Um, Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, (laughs) There's so many directions I could go. I can't decide which (laughs) one I want to go. Um, All right, maybe let's start with this. So one of the really important things that you've talked about um, at the Young Innovators Talk and just in general is the importance of beauty in media um, and in writing um, and in design. Do you want to talk about how blessed is she? It, it's not just an ordinary blog or an ordinary, um, I don't know, like the journals that come out and the, the resources. Like it's it's so much more than what's written on the page. It's the content, but it's also the design and the beauty and the intention that it's created with. Do you want to talk about the importance of beauty in all of that? Yes. So beauty is one of our tenants. We have five tenants. And we have found, you know, with Jenna Gizar as our, not only our founder, but our creative director, she has such a sense of how to help stir our senses and move us closer to God through beauty. Beauty isn't, it isn't a stop sign, right? Yeah. It's, not, it's not an end post. It's not even the goal in and of itself. Beauty brings us back to the source of all beauty. It brings us back to God, right? Truth, mm-hmm. beauty, and goodness. There are these inroads that draw us deeper into the mystery of the divine. Yeah. So for us, when we're approaching something as simple as an Instagram post, I mean, mm-hmm. for those of your listeners who follow us on Instagram, it's just like a work of art. Yes. And that's Jenna Gizar. She has a mind and an eye 
or how do we invite women in to see the beauty that is in our faith and represent that through color, font, shape, movement, tone, yeah. all of that is really critical to what we do. And I think that actually beauty is critical to what all of what we do, whether you're a scientist, whether you're like a chemistry major, mm-hmm. whether you're in communication, beauty, it does capture the human senses and draws us in. And in our case, is hopefully bringing people into a relationship with the Lord. So in our writing, we we strive for excellence as writers. Our writers span college, what can be kind of writers, there's like college, mid-20s working, moms working, moms at home, moms who homeschool, moms who use public school, women struggling with fertility, you know, either hyperfertility or subfertility or infertility, Mm -hmm. all the way up to grandma. So when I'm looking at our writers and I'm helping them, you know, craft their work and hone their craft, I'm thinking, how can I access the story that you have within, right? It's really easy to just pump out an essay and feel like, well, I just put the words on the page. It's like a topic, thesis, tie back, great, conclusion. But each person who's writing, whether it's for Blessed She, whether it's a text, whether it's a blog post, whether it's, you know, anything for school, Mm -hmm. we bring ourselves to that. And this, you know, we're made in the image and likeness of God. So the part of him that we reflect is different than the part that our sister will reflect or our brother will reflect or anyone in the world will reflect. So as writers helping them strive for excellence but also beauty is really helping them root into their prayer life, root into their relationship with the Lord to know themselves well enough, to know what they have to share Mm. that will bring people back to him. Yes. Yeah. That. Again, so much beauty. Um, yeah. And I, I love what you said about beauty is not a stop sign. Um, it's a deeper invitation. Um, I, I'm i a theology major, but I have a minor mm-hmm. in art, um, and I'm also a writer. So I don't know. I've kind of narrowed down my study of theology to kind of – I found my own little concentration mm-hmm. in sacramental theology. And that's the whole principle, like the theology of the world. Um, how everything can act as a sacrament. Everything is an invitation to like deeper beauty. Um, and that when you look at art, like the beauty of that painting is not in and of itself. It points outward um, and upward mm. to something, something greater. Um, so, so much beauty there. Um, oh, I, I love that. Yes. What a gift you're doing and what a gift you're helping bring into the world, Olivia, through that lens and through what you share from your lens. Thank you are a gift you. to my friend. <laughs> Thank you. You as well. Um, what about, so obviously, huh, I, beauty with a capital B being God, like there is one true beauty in that sense, but there's so many different perceptions of what is good and beautiful, um, and what can direct people to God. And there's no one answer there. So how do you take the voices of so many different writers and people who have this vision and this calling to create beauty and put it out in the world? And how do you, I don't know, kind of combine all of them and make them cohesive um, and collaborate with them? You know, something that's really important for us, you know, it's prayer and community, right? So Mm -hmm. these aren't just women kind of writing in a void. We are really connected as a group. So these 40 women, 42, consider Mm -hmm. themselves sisters with each other. Okay. So once a year we get together we have a retreat that's for us. It's like combination sleepovers slash holy <laughs> hour slash delicious food, staying up too late talking, having sessions with our spiritual director. And we also are in small groups with each other. Right now we're reading Dr. Scott Hahn's uh, The Lamb Supper, which is great. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and we get together once a month on a Zoom call or a Google Hangout, these groups of, you know, I think like seven or eight women in each group yeah. to really root in with each other and know each other so well. Mm. Another part of my job as the managing editor is to know what's going on in people's lives. So I love following along on their social media, but also checking in with them personally. We do writing workshops one-on-one with each other. And I feel like, from my vantage point, when I know my writer, when I know what's going on in their life, when I know the struggles, when we've been able to be there with them in prayer or sending them a care package, that means that their voice can be amplified so much more because it's, I'm not just directing a choir of traders. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm pulling out that alto voice for the solo and I'm, I'm really helping these sopranos gel together. You know, if it's, you know, one of our studies, we just produced last year a study on the corporal spiritual works of mercy. It's called Nise Recordia. It's one of my favorite studies. Uh, it takes four different writers and they look at how to live out those works of mercy in our life, a practical application. Yeah. But I didn't just say, like, here, write your essay, you're a robot, <laughs> turn it in, I will gel it all together. It was really collaborative tsunami of how do we get these voices to work together to create something that is cohesive, that is beautiful, it does resonate together without squelching or tampering down people's individuality, but helping draw it out in harmony because they actually do have a relationship with me as their editor and do have relationships with each other. Mm-hmm. The collaboration for beauty is much easier that way. Yeah. So true. Um, that that all makes me so excited for, like, the real world of writing. Not that, like, I, I'm not kind of in the real world, but, like, I don't know, the, like, cycle of writing essays and papers for classes. And even, I don't know, I edit a section of our Catholic newspaper at BC. And mm. so I do know my writers very well because many wow. of us live together. Um, so I know what's going on in their lives, but we still are kind of governed by the, the college mentality of like mm-hmm. writing the night before things are due um, and just like turning it in and hoping for the yeah. best um, or turning it in late. Um, and then that doesn't make editor Olivia very happy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. A lot of inducements, right, Olivia? A lot of inducements. Yes. Cajoling. Working to get seven to get it in on time, a little bit of tough love in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. Um, but that—that's such a beautiful, beautiful sisterhood, and I think that's where, like, art and writing and all of these creative callings are supposed to happen. Like, like you said, they don't—they don't happen in a void, and they're not supposed to, um, which is so so beautiful. Um, how uh, would you like to talk a little bit more about like the the sisterhood that this has created? for you, um, but also the sisterhood that it's created for other people. Um, just blessed is she as a whole and the goal of fostering sisterhood. And there wasn't really, I don't know, another, my generation has kind of like, I, I've had blessed is she around as long as I feel like I've been a Catholic teenager. Um, and there wasn't, it's created a sisterhood where there wasn't something before to create it, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think the sense of sisterhood and the longing for sisterhood comes so much from our founder, Jenna Gizar, who has a brother and no sisters. So mm-hmm. when she first reached out, I think she was also hoping to create a community of women who were walking together in their faith really intentionally. Yeah. And oh my goodness, it's radiated out. So I'll first speak to how it's grown my sisterhood, and then I'll talk about what I see, especially across our social media platforms. It yes. just blows me away. Mm-hmm. So for me personally, I'm from five kids. I have three sisters. I'm close with all of them. 
the kind of the, the opposite of Jenna, where like, I got a lot of sisters. I mean, yeah. I got a lot of unsolicited advice in my life. <laughs> I got a lot of sisters, right? Yeah. Um, but I didn't have uh, women whose relationships where we were truly focused on rooting in Christ. You know, I had people, a lot of different friends, you know, I get the same age or, you know, similar interests or friends from graduate school, friends from college, friends from childhood. But me, for me, it's given me this group of women where our eyes are fixed on the crucifix. Mm. Our eyes are fixed on the rosary. Our yeah. eyes are fixed on that. So all the inconveniences and the bumps and the jostles of she didn't show up, she forgot to text, she didn't come, kind of melt away because our expectation is, hey, we get together, we pray. We're trying to help each other grow in the faith, but I'm going to be pretty generous in what I, you know, what I'm demanding of you as a friend, because our big goal isn't to like have a great time on Friday night, yeah. or for her to affirm me and make me feel good about my outfit or about that choice I just made, that weird conversation I just had. Our purpose is to become saints, and we're going to help each other get there. So it's giving me a whole different perspective on what female friendships can be about. Yeah. And very early on, we established a thing called blessed brunches. Mm. Which it doesn't have to be a brunch. I mean, this kind of is a little bit of a, a misnomer there, maybe. Where we equip women to get together with other women in their area. And we say, hey, you want to put out a call for a brunch? We'll, we'll promote it on our social and our website. People can sign up and, you know, then they get your home address. So, you know, crazy talkers. <laughs> and women say, oh, my goodness, I've met my best friends through these blessed brunches. I've met my small group members to do the blessed conversation studies through these blessed brunches. I've yeah. met women who are enough godparents with my children through these blessed brunches. Mm-hmm. And it's something right now we're really turning our attention to our college-age sisters and say, we know you have a million programs, you have a million, like, you know, uh, like a lot of handouts and booklets and all the ways to connect, but we really want to invite you guys deeper into that sister with each other. Yeah. To set down the defenses and the posturing and the insecurities and just live heart-to-heart in this tender time of college, meeting through our blessed brunches, doing special groups with each other, using our resources, so many of which are free. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's even something on our website right now. If you look at, you know, buses to your college groups, you have a special guide for women who want to get together. So that really special, authentic, you know, open, vulnerable sisterhood that just sounds like, you know, you, you've been witness to, Olivia, as, yes. as this grows. I mean, worldwide, we have close to a thousand brunches probably this year across the world will be wow. scheduled, you know. I, I oversee the small groups, and there are hundreds and hundreds of small groups who just sprung up. They get our free guide. They get our, like, how to do it. It's so simple that all of our things have no prep, no homework. Mm-hmm. You just come in as you are and, and dive into the catechism or scripture, the rosary, pray, think, think about some questions, reflect with each other. You want to make that sisterhood accessible and doable and something every woman can encounter on her journey. Mm, yeah, that's so beautiful. And yeah, I, I think there's to touch on your last point. Like I, I think there's such an importance to the like, come as you are. Like no homework required, no preparation. Oh you don't no have homework. to like, <laughs> you don't have to like know the Bible already. No. Like just show I up. Don't know the, I'm not a theologian. I'm no a theologian. I'm, yeah, I'm just the old lawyer here. <laughs> yeah, I. And I think especially on a, a college campus, um, I probably don't help in this at all. But, like, I don't know. I feel like some Catholic groups can be dominated by, like, the theology majors and the theology students yeah. um, because they're <laughs> like, well, I know about 
the Second Vatican Council, do you? Um, <laughs> when, <laughs> yes. Yeah, when that has nothing to do, well, not nothing, but like pretty much nothing to do with a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Um, you don't need any of that. Um, and I think that's probably one of the beauties of Blessed Is She is its accessibility and the fact that the beauty draws you in um, and doesn't have any like prerequisites maybe. Yeah, yeah, really, truly. Come with an open heart. Yes. That's all you need. Yeah. You can even come with a closed heart. We'll even let you with a closed heart. We'll <laughs> help you open it. Yes, for sure. Um, I I have a, a question I just came up with. So we had the editors of the Catholic newspaper at BC, The Torch, on at last season, I think, um, like halfway through. And we were talking about how what audience we try to write to. And how mm. we we can't assume that anyone is a theologian um, and that they right. even know what, like, Vatican II is. Um, and kind of guiding, like, what age group we're writing to and what type of language we're using and how if someone's not Catholic at all and they pick up our newspaper, we want them to be able to read it and be interested and be drawn in um, to further study mm. beyond that article. What kind of – so – you probably, well, you definitely have a wide array of audience. Like you have, you have plenty of theologians, I'm sure, reading. But you also <laughs> have people who just stumbled upon your Instagram and thought that it looked pretty um, and yeah. started reading. So, what do you coach your writers to kind of write to? What audience or age or something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the question of who who is our audience and how do we write to them is one that's really been heavy. How do you remind in a good way? Like, we're very keenly aware of making sure our writing is accessible to people, but also provides some substance. Yeah. So we do have a theological editor named Susanna Spencer. She's a dear friend. She actually lives up here in Minnesota as well. She has her master's in theology from Steubenville. Nice. And it's really helpful to have her be kind of our guidepost. So after we write, you know, I check everything. She checks everything. And she kind of re-steers or retools parts of the conversation in our writing. It might be less accessible, right? It might be like, oh, Suzanne, I was trying to explain this really deep theological concept. She's like, whoa, 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 let me help you. Yeah. <laughs> let me help you make sure that the naive reader, right, that's the term we use in academia, right? Who's the naive reader? The person who's approaching, like you said, they're picking up your news they know nothing. Yeah. But I want to make sure to write this so that the naive reader can get something out of it. The experienced reader can get something out of it. The theologian can get something out of it. Yeah. And that's a really interesting line to walk where we want to write big enough mm-hmm. and yet narrow enough at the same time. So because our ministry is evangelizing in nature, so we're, we're evangelizing, we're sharing the gospel, right? We're sharing yeah. the charisma. We're not catechetical like so many other publications out there that are like, I'm going to instruct you on the faith. I'm going to give you the fine-tuned details about these things. <laughs> yeah. Because our net is for evangelizing, mm-hmm. our writing is much more about storytelling and invitation in than, gosh, we're trying to explain, like, the triune God, the mystery of the Trinity. It's extremely complex. People have written so many mm-hmm. treatises on it. Um, so it's less that, which helps keep that net both inviting but also challenging. Because in a person's story, there's so many layers. Mm-hmm. The reader can pick up on one or two or three. Or the yeah. reader can, like, fall in head first, right, and soak it all up. So it is an interesting mind to, to walk as the editor to make sure that we are encompassing space for everyone to find themselves in our story mm. and have a reach as well. So it's not just something that is like so obvious, so pat. Yeah. Depth with accessibility. True, true. Yeah. 
um, and the right, right big enough but right narrow enough um, is a perfect way to put it. Um, has there ever been an article that has been really challenging to get the balance of being? Is there anything that comes to mind as an example of something that has been hard to make it like interesting to the theologian, but also interesting to someone who mm. just stumbled upon it? Yeah, you know, actually, there's a project that your your listeners probably have outgrown because it's for children. <laughs> but anyone who's younger siblings or godchildren or you know cousins, you wrote a book for for children, a prayer book called Rise Up. Okay. Living a life of heroic virtue, and it's like for the seven to twelve year old range, and it was actually pioneered by our theological editor who said, "Why take fifteen virtues, take the summa, and make it accessible for kids?" And we were <laughs> like, "Oh my gosh, how are we going to do this?" Susanna, yeah. Like, the summa's really intense, Susanna. You get it. The rest of the struggle. <laughs> so we broke it out. We did. We have like an intro to the virtues, beautiful hand done illustrations, and then 15 of our writers tell their stories throughout the week. So there's reflections for kids. I wrote little prayers. Mm-hmm. But fascinatingly enough, many of us adults actually pray through her descriptions of the virtues. Wow. Even those four children, there's still an accessibility level that I mean, one of our one of our writers, who has you know, she's like two advanced degrees, <laughs> one of the smartest women I know. She has one of her favorite prayer books. That's awesome. It's fascinating that we could have written something for children that still reaches the adult intellect, but is for, you know, the 7 to 12 year because there are so many layers to it. Yeah. Our adult stuff is, is a little bit easier for me along those lines, but this was a wonderful and challenging project. But they had to be take something that's so hard and make it for kids, because it's actually still for me as the mom. I'm reading it aloud. I'm like, oh, see, I did not know that about <laughs> hope. Okay. I'm yeah. pointing some more about the theological virtue. Um, hmm. It's been really fun to see the age range and the stretch yeah. of our writers that they can write to so many different voices overall. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. That uh, now I want to read it. <laughs> you should. It's, it's really for everybody. I think <laughs> and I totally. They're so beautiful. Mm-hmm. They're really great. Yeah. Um, so we've circled back to kind of the topic of you being a mom. Um, do you want? I know we do have several mom listeners, including my own mother, um, who listens mm. to every episode. Um, do you want to talk about how being a young mom has kind of, I don't know, how blessed is she has impacted that and how being a mom has impacted your work there and how that works together? You know, it's, it's an incredible privilege to be able to have flexible work and mm. do something that feeds me, that's so meaningful, and still get to spend majority of the daytime with my kids. I know this is a privilege that many women don't have in their work environment. So I'm very grateful to work for someone who is a mom. Yes. And also to have a husband who's really supportive of me working nights, weekends, you know, like this week I had a meeting every night. I didn't do bedtime all night long. And I'm flying to Phoenix today to uh, to have a leadership conference. So I won't be doing bedtime all weekend long either, my poor husband. Yeah. Um, I know it's, it's it's really, it shaped my, so working for Blessed Is She and working with a team and growing in my own faith, I shaped my motherhood so much. So my kids are nine, seven, five, and almost three. Mm. And I started this work when my five-year-old was a baby. <laughs> so for most of my children's cogent life, they see me editing a hard copy, um, you know, texting Mrs. Caesar again, uh, <laughs> going to a blessed she retreat with a baby in the sling. I've always just brought my babies with me. Um, 
Yeah. They see me going and leaving a small group at my parish with our Blessed Conversations materials. They've helped me, like, pack the coffee, make the muffins. We're having small groups. Mm-hmm. They see me right now for Advent. I'm hosting a weekly get-together in the evening, doing the Advent and Christmas book together. They yeah. help set the table. They get the candles out. So it's so much a part of the rhythm of our lives mm-hmm. that for them, they're thrilled that they're helping share Jesus with people through their support of me. Yeah. I mean, sometimes there's still some crying at bedtime. And they're like, I want mommy. She's got another phone call. <laughs> but for the most part, yeah, uh, it's really helped them reach and see, like, mm. parents can do really different jobs in different ways. And mommy's job is different than daddy's job at the law firm. You know, that my job is helping women grow in their relationship with God, and it, it looks differently. Yeah. Um, and also to work. And then, we you know, when we have our retreats, our regional retreats, we'll have three or 400 women come together for a full evening and then a full day, 12-hour day on Saturday. It's different than a normal retreat. Mm-hmm. And women bring their babies. And if I'm on that retreat, I'm, like, fluffing that mama baby corner, like, getting <laughs> cushions, make sure there's extra wipes, some toys, a rug. Yeah. Uh, to see that women can enter into this, not just at this phase of their life, but that phase of our life, but where they are. The blessing mm-hmm. she is for every woman in every stage of her life, me included, having that baby long, kind of like nursing long, talking to people in the sling. Yeah. And see that this isn't portioned off, but it's, it's an extension of our normal lives. The, the gospel isn't just for Sundays. Mm-hmm. The gospel is for evenings and weekends and squeezing in conference calls that God, God really can work throughout our whole life and the fabric of our whole life, whatever our family structure looks like. And that to me has been such a blessing. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. It, it's back to the same thing that you can come with no prerequisites, no strings attached, just wherever you are at that moment, come as you are. Um, yeah. And I'm sure your kids kind of seeing you doing this work, has that has that opened up, like, have they ever dreamed of working for the church after seeing you, like, do that and know that that's an option? Um, oh, my goodness. I mean, all my kids, my, my, so I have a boy, girl, boy, girl, and the oldest boy is constantly lamenting, I don't ever get to write for Blessed Is She. <laughs> and my second, who's a girl who's seven, is like, 11 more years and I'll be an adult, and I get to work for Blessed Is She. <laughs> I mean, there's that narrow, like, very tax tangible, like, Blessed Is She. But, yeah, I think that it's opened their minds to what helping spread the gospel is, even if it's not an official capacity in ministry. You know, our oldest is trained as an altar server now, and I mm-hmm. think he feels pride that he's getting back and serving the church in a special way. And when we pray our nightly rosary and they hit each other with the rosary <laughs> and they cry and they, like, run around the room like crazy people, mm-hmm. you know, we, we pray our intentions for the church and for the West Street community, and I think those seeds have to be being planted. You know, even something as simple as having, you know, we have a daughter of St. Paul, Sister Maria Kim Bui writes for us. We hope yeah. to have more sisters write for us in the future for our daughters to see you know, our spiritual director is a wonderful priest. He's a vicar for evangelization in the Diocese of Phoenix, Father John Parks, for my son to see, like, the work that he's doing with us. It just opens their horizons to how to be generous to God's call in their own life. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. So awesome. Um, yeah. And, and just seeing seeing someone else do it and knowing it's an option. Um, yeah. And the Daughters of St. Paul have been really influential for me as well even just seeing that there's like that's an option that sisters who are so involved in the media and so present to the world as it is like that is an option um yeah and even blessed is she like there are wonderful catholic women writers and artists and designers like Mm. i could do something like that Um, 
encouraging. Yes, it exactly. is encouraging, especially, I don't know, I thought I was going to school for physics. That was what I thought I was going to end Whoa. up doing. Um, and, oh, like, I don't know. <laughs> there, I'm sure there are plenty of wonderful Catholic women physicists. There are not many of them. I never encountered one of them. Um, but knowing that there are beautiful <laughs> communities out there is very hopeful. Um, and I think projects like podcasts and blogs and other media, getting the word out, um, as well as the role model of people close to us, like our parents, um, is so important to see that there are faithful people doing really, really cool things. Um, and we don't have to become a physicist if we don't want to. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. On that note, actually, you brought up that you might want to talk about discerning callings, um, which I, as a college student, am all ears to any advice that you have about discernment. Um, so I'd love to hear your kind of take on that and your experience with that. Yeah, so with regard to discerning a calling, this for me has come up a lot in, like I mentioned earlier, my conversations with women who are in college who say, I want your job. Yeah. I want professor to like, how do I get there? What do I major in? And then I laugh and say like, oh, no, I mean, I was a poet. What can I say? <laughs> poet, lawyer, fantasy editor? It's kind of a weird mashup. So something that, that I love, there are so many different um approaches to discernment, but a discerning process that I really love is Lexio Divina. Mm-hmm. So that's when you sit and you pray with Scripture and instead of thinking, like, i got to read this whole book of Scripture so I can check it off my list. You <laughs> sit and you pray with the Word and you listen to what God's telling you, like, in your gut, right? So if you just get the bullhorn from heaven being like, that's just the message, no. But you do get inquiries and you do get a sense of where the Lord's pressing you. Mm-hmm. And for me, spending time before the Book of Sacraments, so making a holy hour or making a holy five minutes, popping into the chapel to see our Lord, whether he's exposed, you know, in the mountains or in the tabernacle. Yeah. Taking time before our Lord in prayer with Scripture, it's like a triple trifecta. You know, you're like, man, if only I could get a confession today, too. I'm like, before <laughs> Jesus, I'm getting all these graces. I'm sitting with the Word, you know, the divine yeah. Word of God. Mm-hmm. And to listen to what he's saying to you. That's probably, that's my starting point for discerning, you know, for me, my different journeys here, my, my work as a, as a writer, an editor, a speaker, it all starts with being really rooted in the reality of spending time with God. Mm-hmm. Then the second thing for me has always been turn to the people who know you best. You know, test drive things on them. Yeah. People who know you best. You're like, I think I want to do this thing. And they're like, oh, my gosh, you are not well suited for that. You are in la-la land. <laughs> or they'll say, yeah, actually, that really aligns with what you're thinking. So for me, that was when I wanted to tell my parents that I wanted to major in English, I was terrified. <laughs> I thought they wanted me to study something really concrete. And I had always been like, people should study computer science. This is God bless her woman who, at the time, knew nothing about computers. She was like, computer science is the future. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm going to be a computer science and psych major, and that's going to be like a tangible job at the end of it. I can work in computers, whatever that means. <laughs> oh, my gosh, I hated it. I was so bad at it. But what I loved and what I felt drawn to was literature, reading, writing, critical thinking. But in some ways, I think for many of you, you think if it's, if it's natural to me, that's like the easy way out. I have to pick the hardest major and the hardest path because then I'm going to be challenged. Hmm. And then my parents are going to be proud of me. And then they're going to think I'm a real achiever and they can tell you know, everybody, like, oh, she's like this phenomenal engineer, nuclear physicist. Like, <laughs> no. You know, to, to look and to, I remember getting, I remember driving back from campus and shaking and, like, praying the whole way to Mary, being like, I'm so scared they're going to tell me this is a bad idea or that they're mm-hmm. not going to help me go to college if I choose this. 
Yeah. Sure enough, their parents are delighted. My mom says, oh, yeah, I was a history major. Like, oh, another subject that seemingly doesn't have a job at the end. Yeah. Amazing. So turning to them and saying, this is kind of what I think. And then being like, oh, yeah, that totally fits with you. Mm-hmm. We always, you've always been a bookworm. You've always, like, loved reading and storytelling. Like, that's totally you. Yeah. So in this determined process, right, first you root yourself in a relationship with our Lord, and you make space and time for him to talk into your heart. Mm-hmm. And then you turn to the people around you. And say, does this sound like me? And then the last step in discerning your vocation, and I don't mean necessarily big B vocation like marriage, holy orders, <laughs> um, consecrated virgin, but just more like, what am I going to do? Yeah. Yep. The third step is try it. Just try it. We mm-hmm. get so afraid to fail. We want to have all our ducks in a row first and kind of be assured of the outcome, and then we'll step out. But yeah. the only way I've grown in life and the only way I've seen the people around me grow is through failure, through trial and error, through figuring out something that's yeah. really not for you. I worked for a stockbroker in college. <laughs> I was like, stocks are a steady thing. I should <laughs> learn about the stock market. I worked in a stockbroker. who's was so kind. Man, I was so bad at Olivia. I did not <laughs> have a mind for numbers at all. Yeah, like, I this, is, this is not a math break. <laughs> None of my kids will be mathematicians. <laughs> Two lawyers cannot produce mathematicians. Yeah. Uh, try it. Get an yeah. internship. Mm-hmm. Put out some feelers. Yeah. Think you'll work in the off hours for free. Try it. You might like it. You might hate it. You're definitely going to learn something. And putting ourselves in a posture of humility to be a student in any arena, even now, right? In my mid-30s, I still have to take that posture of humility to try to learn new things, to discern what's next for me. Yes. So don't be afraid to try new things. And don't be afraid to fail. It's your best teacher. Yeah. Those are my, that's my three-step my three process. <laughs> no, I like that so much. Oh, there's so much good things in there. But, like, I don't know. Like, I, something that's been on my mind a lot recently um, and kind of, like, I, I slowly kind of shed my – STEM majors like I started out as physics and theology um, and then I went to physics and or theology and environmental science because I was like okay I want to help people with science so let me Mm. apply physics to something that helps people more so I went to environmental science from that and then I was like "Mm, this isn't this isn't cutting it either so now I'm just theology and hopefully Mm. maybe going to do a social work and theology dual masters I don't know that's too far away for me to think about but like I kept drilling down to like what what do I actually want in this? And mm-hmm. I kept ignoring, like, I don't know, what excites us is no mistake. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And what comes naturally? Like, I had the same kind of concept that, like, I need to do something that will challenge me and that's mm-hmm. hard and, like, almost, like, noble in a way. Um, mm-hmm. And that's not to say, like, if your calling is pre-med that it's not going to be hard. But, like, yeah. I don't know, the things that, that come natural to you and – fulfill you and excite you and just come easy but not not easy in a difficulty way um that that that's no mistake like if i'm really interested in social work and theology like maybe i should stop ignoring it and filling my time with physics um because i think that that's like the noble thing that's gonna make money and i I don't know if physics actually i don't know (laughs) Um, pure physics probably doesn't make that much money but whatever or engineering or something like that yeah Um, Practical. Yes, practical. practical versus like this is what this is what sets me on fire, um, and I'm gonna best serve the world when I'm set on fire. Um, yeah, so many good things there, and so much to think about and ponder. Um, but Lexio Divina in front of the Blessed Sacrament that that is a very Daughters of Saint Paul thing. 
I do love the Jaffa's and Dave Falls so yes. much. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to their Christmas concert this weekend, and I'm very excited. Oh, <laughs> yes. So my, fam- my family goes every year. Um, we are the deacon at our parish dragged us a few years back um, and was like, once you go, it'll become a family tradition. <laughs> Yeah, and I had visited with the Daughters of St. Paul, like, the summer before. So I was like, hmm, this is a good way to get my parents to come to the convent and meet the nuns. So I was all for it. Um, I was like, let's all go. Um, And then sure enough, he was right. It's become a family tradition. And now, even without that deacon, we go every single year. (laughs) I love that. They're amazing. What a gift to have them right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so good. Um, All right. So we, we probably have to wrap up in a second. But we do this thing at the end of every podcast, and it's kind of like a Catholic quick questions sort of thing. Um, so they, it doesn't have to be speedy. Um, they, they always end up going off on a tangent. But I have a number of Catholic like fun facts and questions and things about you, um, if you're good with that. Yeah. All right. So my first Catholic quick question is, what is your favorite book of the Bible? Ooh, definitely Luke. Ooh, that's a good one. Because it's a Marian gospel, or? It's Marian. It's so crisp. I love the parables. I love his phrasing. Mm. I also love that it was, it is like, yeah, he, and from the Blessed Mother. You know, it's not the firsthand experience. It's a little more analytical in a way. I mean, mm-hmm. John is so poetic. So I love John too, but the lawyer in me really loved Luke. Mm. Yes. Um, all right. So, what's your favorite book in general, not the Bible? Non non-Bible book? Yes. You're asking an English major. This is I, such a hard Yeah, question. unfair. I know. Uh, um, hmm, or maybe like, what are you reading currently or something like that? You know what? I'm reading Insinu Yezu right yeah. now. It's an incredible book. It's a, it's a Benedictine monk in Ireland who received a series of revelations from our Lord. He's a mystic. Mm. He wrote them all down. So it's an anonymous monk, but it's just a phenomenal accounting of our Lord and our Lady speaking to him in adoration. And mm. it's just blowing my socks off. So between that and St. Faustina's diary, I really love the, the mystics. I really yes. do. I just think they're incredible. Mm. Yes, I would stand by both of those book recommendations for sure. Um, what is your favorite event or your favorite part or resource of Blessed Is She? Um, What's your favorite Blessed Is She thing? <laughs> my, I'm sorry, my favorite what? Like, your favorite thing that Blessed Is She has produced. Oh, that's really hard. I would have to say um, the daily devotions. I mean, those emails, it doesn't matter that I've edited them and I've used them. When I open up my email, first thing in the morning, I click through, I read the daily readings, I read the reflection. I follow the little call to action. And I'm like, I'm like a good reader. I'm, I'm, I'm a model reader myself with my own thing. <laughs> I just, I think for women, no matter where you are, or what you're doing, or, you know, how your faith journey is going, those emails, they are free. We do not spam you. We do not sell you emails. Those emails. I mean, I just was approached by a woman at mass yesterday. I was at her all school mass, you know, for my kids that are parochial school. And she's an mm-hmm. older woman who said, oh, Someone turned me on to your Instagram account, and then I got to Blessed Is She, and I love the emails I shared with all my friends. Like, that's it, man. That's the sisterhood right here. That a woman in her 50s or a woman in her 20s, but a woman in her 80s, mm. they're just for everybody. And you get 
you get scripture every day yeah. in mastery. And so daily mm-hmm. emails, those are my favorite. <laughs> awesome. Um, what is your favorite place that you've traveled? Mm. Uh, you know what? I got to go to Ephesus in college. I was in a choir and we toured Greece. And then my dad and one of my sisters and I stayed on. We went to Turkey. We went to Ephesus and we saw the cave where our Blessed Mother and St. John lived out the rest of her days. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, I, this is like the before digital cameras, barely. I mean, maybe, maybe some people have this. I don't even have a photo of <laughs> us there. But being in that two-room cave, yeah. it made the gospel come so alive for me. It wasn't like, oh, this is the patrimony of the church and the this and the that <laughs> and the catechism. It was like, this is where Mary slept. Yes. I mean, according to tradition, right? Yeah. There's always room for, you know, wiggle room there. But I think they had this dirt on these walls, like, mm-hmm. I said, mother. Yeah. So that's, that's probably my favorite place I've visited. Mm. Yeah. I have not been there, but I have been to the Holy Land, so I can completely oh. agree that like it, it it's not about the catechism and rules and the church and whatever it's about personal relationship and being like wow like this is the place that the angel gabriel like she was kneeling right there like oh. someone my age like i don't know it's such like a personal like tactile experience um which is awesome all right my next question is what is your favorite form of prayer or way to pray the rosary mm. And I have to say, I know for a lot of people, maybe they were raised with a rosary or it just feels like so inaccessible now, kind of archaic, kind of arcane. I definitely went through that phase. Mm-hmm. But the older I get and the more I understand that when you're meditating on the mysteries of the rosary, you're meditating on Jesus' life, you're going through scripture. Mm-hmm. And you're asking the mediatrix, yes. the woman who holds all the graces, who Jesus has given his graces to release them. Like, think of her cloak, and she's just going to open that cloak and dump all of these graces <laughs> out on you. Yeah. She's a mother, like the comfort of having a perfect mother, mm-hmm. in contrast to all the varied relationships we have with our, mo- our mothers here on earth, you know, our mother figures. Mm-hmm. This perfect mother wants my best, and she wants me to be reunited with God. She wants me to be a saint. She's going to help me. And I just get to ask her every day, repeatedly be like, Mom, 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 <laughs> that's the Hail Mary, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I said, we pray it with our kids at night, and it is like a WWF wrestling match. <laughs> there is bleeding and crying and lassoing and whipping, <laughs> but we still do it. Because I'm like, you know what? As long as we don't have to go to the ER, <laughs> we're just going to plant these seeds. We're just going to Mary give me the graces I need, right? As St. Teresa of Calcutta said, Mary, be a mother to me now. Yes. I definitely need her help at bedtime, and <laughs> I just I love the rosary. That's awesome. That's so beautiful. Um all right, so you just mentioned a saint, um, but if you could be best friends with any saint, who would it be? Saint Teresa of Lisieux. Mm, yes, yeah. I'm such, I'm such a fan of her. I read Story of the Soul when I was working uh, between my 2L and 3L year. I worked in Strasbourg for the summer in Strasbourg, France. Mm-hmm. And I got to spend a week in Paris by myself just touring around, and I went to Chakra Cour. Mm-hmm. But it had perpetual adoration now for, gosh, I almost like 150 years. And I was reading Story of the Soul, and I just, I really fell in love with her, and then, unbeknownst to myself, my now husband at the time had a first-class relic of St. Therese, and when we were dating, he was like, you have this first-class relic, and I was like, really? How? He's like, can't tell you, but it's St. Therese. I'm like, oh my gosh, now I have to marry you for the relic. Come on, man. That's awesome. we do have St. Therese's first-class relic. First-class relic of St. Therese was due in our home, and we venerate her every day, and I just... She's just my favorite. She's amazing. Yeah. 
Do you now know the story of how he got it? Well, yes. Yeah, so he was using the seminary for a long time, way before I met him. Uh, he was in the seminary, and he, he had a friend in Rome who he had acquired it and passed it along to him. So we actually had a lot of relics, and we donated most of them to our parish. But we still have St. Therese, and then we have one of um, also first classes. It's like a little trifecta. It has Anthony of the Desert, St. Bruno, and um, I'm blanking on the third one. <laughs> Terrible me. Yeah, so we have a couple of relics in our home. That's so cool. People can come. Don't steal them. Come venerate them anytime you want, you guys. Okay? Just don't come steal them. <laughs> Our most precious, valuable assets right there. Yes. Yeah. That That is a very good fun fact that you have many first-class relics in your home. I like that fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My last question um, of this Catholic Quick Questions. Um, if you could meet any of the popes, which pope? Oh. I mean, St. Peter. What can I say? Mm. Just want to look in the man's face, like see his big bushy beard. Be like, Peter, if you can do it, you who denied our Lord three times, you who floundered in the waters, you who were like ignited by all this grace after Pentecost, you were so brave. If you, the big sinner, can do it, there's hope for the rest of us. (laughs) True. Um, Yeah, St. Peter, for sure. So true. Yeah. I like that answer. Um, we get a lot of JP2s on the podcast, but I always like when there's a St. Peter as well. <laughs> all right. Nobody's like, I want that one pope from the Middle Ages, the one with the nepotism, <laughs> the one who did all things. Like, no, nobody wants those, some of those crazy weird popes we've had. No. We just want the good ones. No. We've got, we have gotten a couple of those random ones. I've some, had some, like, theology nerds <laughs> on the podcast. Um, yes, we had uh, Tommy Ty and Steve the Missionary. I don't know if you've ever run across oh, yeah. them on Catholic Twitter. They were yeah, on, yeah, and yeah. I, I believe Steve gave some obscure pope, but, you know, it's okay. <laughs> None of the rest of I've ever heard. That's so great. But see, I'm not the theologian, so I don't, ha- I don't have those deep, deep pockets of knowledge on them. I had to go to somebody easy. I had to go to St. Peter. <laughs> I, even, I'm taking a history of the church and, like, conciliar traditions class, so Ooh. I, unfortunately know the life story of many of those popes in the middle um but i still would go with saint peter um i'm with you for sure (laughs) yeah all right so as kind of a wrap up um is there any kind of last advice that you would give to college catholics um young women um young adult women um in kind of everything that we talked about discerning their calling um searching for beauty is there any any last parting advice that you'd like to leave them with my last advice would be for your listeners, for these women on their journey, would be to take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Like a lot of oxygen. Really oxygenate those blood vessels. Deep, deep, deep breath. Drink enough water. Call your mother. Get enough sleep. And remember that this is a marathon, right? This life, you're not going to get it all done today. You're never going to get to that bottom of the to-do list. Just set aside those worries and anxieties all that's keeping you tight and tense and not open to the graces of the Lord, Mm. turn yourself to the sacraments, get to confession, get to the Holy Eucharist, get to prayer time. Even if it's snippet, it doesn't have to be perfect. And rest in his arms, knowing that God's got this. Mm. You are his magnificent daughter. He loves you so much. He wants only abundance and grace and closeness to him. It's us that makes the separation, right? He is longing for us, calling us back to him. Yeah. Be that prodigal daughter, drink enough water, get enough sleep, <laughs> and just 
get a deep, deep breath and know that he has this. Mm, that's so beautiful. I don't think I can say anything to top that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We are a body and soul. Take care of both of them and just rest in that. Um, that's beautiful. All right. Well, thank you so, so much, Nell. This has been a beautiful conversation. Um, I think I've smiled the entire time. Um, so thank you so, so much. Oh, you're so kind, Olivia. What a joy and a privilege to be your guest. And thank you for the hard work you're doing. Keep up the work. You're building sisterhood. That is a beautiful thing. Thank you. All right, listeners, we will talk to you next week with another episode of the To The Heights podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the To The Heights podcast. And a big, big thank you for now for sharing your heart and your time and your joy with all of us. Thank you for you. Be sure to follow Nell on Instagram at whole underscore parenting, um, which is also the name of her beautiful blog. Um, and you can find all things Blessed Is She at blessedisshe.net um, and on all social media. I highly recommend the daily devotion emails. Um, I've been a subscriber for years, and like Nell said, they are one of our favorite parts. Um, I hope you enjoyed listening in on Nell's story and that you have some takeaways to apply to your own journey with the Lord in reaching to the heights. Alrighty, you can find the rest of the To the Heights podcast episodes and all of the other Catholic TV new podcasts um, and stay up to date with us on iTunes, Spotify, or on our brand new Catholic TV podcast platform, grexley.com, which is G-R-E-X-L-Y.com. Check out the new podcasts on there, and if you feel called to support the project, you can visit patreon.com slash grexley for some podcast swag, too. Um, be sure to tune in next Monday for another super cool guest. But until then, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at To The Heights CTB or find me at Olivia Rose underscore art or OliviaRoseArt.com. Talk to you next week and keep on reaching to the heights. Mm-hmm.